You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. It is great to see everybody here today. I'm so glad you found a seat. I understand there's a few people sitting out in the lobby area, so greetings to you as well. But uh, so glad that you're here. We're going to continue on today in the series called Growing in Faith and Truth. It is based on the Gospel of John. But today's message, I'm going to be, we're going to read a story that you're very familiar with. It's called The Feeding of the 5,000. Anybody ever hear that before? And so some of you are probably thinking, I probably know some of the points that Pastor Greg's gonna be preaching today. And my response to you is, no, you don't. (laughs) Because what I did was I sat down and I tried to say, okay, let's try to take a a unique approach on this. And I think you'll find some things that we're gonna be sharing today. We'll add maybe some additional insights to what is already a very familiar story to you. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? We're gonna go to John chapter 15, or John uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. So let's all read together. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The Holy Spirit, I pray that the word would enlighten our minds and our hearts. I pray that we can see beyond the facts of a story and see who the Son of God is. We pray that while the reality of the story is is, is spoken to us, I pray the reality of who Jesus is would be revealed to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. 
So one of the things that I've been doing is highlighting some of the things about each one of the stories that we're covering in the Gospel of John. And so some of you uh, are familiar with these facts that I'll be sharing. For some of you who are new today, I'm doing this to help you to understand the momentum of this series. The question, one of the questions I've been answering is this, why did John write his gospel when Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written their gospels? And we think that this probably happened at least 15 years after uh, the, the last gospel of either Matthew, Mark, or Luke was written. Why did, why did John feel that his gospel was so important? And he actually tells us at the end of what he wrote in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are, they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's saying, I want you to know that you can know that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and by that you can also know that you have life. And we're talking about salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. That's why he recorded what he did. But one of the insights about his gospel is this. He only has seven miracles that he covers, other than the resurrection of Christ, whereas the other gospels have all these miracles. John only has seven miracles that he mentions. And I've already spoken on the water turning into wine. I spoke on the invalid at the pool. And today we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. You can look at the gospel of John and go, man, there's a lot of writing there. And yet there's only seven miracles that were written. Why did he record these seven? I can tell you why, because he thought they pointed to the thing that he wrote at the end. These miracles, very specifically in his mind, proved that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God, and that these miracles proved that you could know that you could have eternal life, forgiveness of sin. So as we look at his gospel, 90% of what he wrote is not contained in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So reading the Gospel of John, you're getting a lot of new insight about who Jesus is that the other three Gospels didn't record. But on the flip side of that, this is interesting. Other than the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when you see that John is trying to be very unique and saying, let me tell you things that are not in the other gospels, you kind of come to this question, why did he record a miracle that got recorded in all the other three? If his idea was, let me bring more stuff of what Jesus said, more of what Jesus did, why did he on purposely record a story that he knows was in the other gospels? And I'll, how many know I have an answer for you on that? It was because of this. John records additional context and insight about the feeding of the 5,000. As we read the story, did you see a few unique things that he said that the other ones don't mention? Such as, Jesus said to Philip, we, he doesn't, the other gospels say the disciples were asked. He says, actually he singled out Philip. He said to Philip, we need to feed these people. And Philip went, yeah, this is gonna take over half a year's wages. He put Philip on the spot. Then it's Peter's brother, Andrew, who brought the five loaves and two fish. It's not the disciples in a general way. It is specifically Andrew. He says, well, here's a little kid. He's got five loaves and two fish, but it's not gonna do. So what we see is he's adding more, what I call the person 
persons involved. He's giving a lot more detail as opposed to the other gospels. Nothing is contradictory. He's just telling more specifics that he thinks are important that people know. Like, by the way, so when we talk about Philip, this is an interesting story. I don't know where it'll fit in the story, but I just want to tell somebody. So uh, a lot of theologians will say that because Jesus asked Philip, why didn't he ask the other 11 disciples? You know, Judas was the treasurer, okay? But he asked Philip. So we believe that it was Philip's responsibility to gather the food for the group each day. In other words, Judas was the treasurer, but it was Philip's responsibility to go purchase and get it. And then there was, we read that there were women and other people following Jesus who took care of the daily needs. It would have been their responsibility, okay, to prepare. So uh, we, we believe that Philip was the official purchaser of Jesus's group. It was his, that's why Jesus directed it to him. That's how he was able to say, this is gonna take over half a year's wages. What are you talking about? So you say, well, that's awesome. The point is, nothing. I just wanted to tell somebody. <laughs> you know, you go to all this time to learn something you want to tell somebody. So you just learned a little factoid, right? Okay, we're going to go on. All right, so here we go. Number one, it reads a little different, but just hang in there. It'll make sense. Ready? Read it. Following Jesus based on what he does is different than following Jesus based on who he is. You may have to think about that a second. Why did the people follow Jesus at this point? It says, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. No mention, he's the son of God. No mention, he's the Messiah. They're following Jesus because they're getting miracles. And that's why they're there. In fact, they're willing to disrupt their trip that should be taking them to Jerusalem for the Passover, they're willing to have the trip disrupted because they want to see the signs and wonders. They want to experience. It has nothing to do with the person of Jesus at this point. It has everything with what Jesus is doing for them. But let me tell you, as you begin to read the rest of the gospel, you start to see that he's trying to relay that he's not a person who just does these things. He's trying to have a relationship and he's going to reveal, he's revealing himself as the Messiah, as the son of God. Now, how does that translate to us today? Well, did you know that there's a lot of people who like what Christianity offers, but they don't necessarily want to buy into what its beliefs are? Wow. And I say that, it's actually I will say to some degree it's part of a person's journey because they get attracted maybe to something that a family member or a friend, is, they're seeing something and so they come and they go, man, I love the kids ministry. I want my kids to be exposed to that. Man, I love the youth ministry. I want my kids, my youth to be involved. I love the young adults. Man, I'm plugging in because, man, that's a great group. That's, they got lots going on. Man, a Sunday morning, I'm getting connected into the connection group. I'm going to go to that church. Man, it's a great place. They got hot music. <laughs> and, and a good, pre yeah, she said good preaching. <laughs> I have to be careful, you know. But if you're not careful, I, you know, and, and hear me. This leadership team of this church, we talk about excellence all the time, okay? Because adequacy no longer impresses people. So we talk about what does it take to have excellence? 
What do we need to do? What do we need to be? But in the end, if you're not careful, you're coming for the stuff. And missing the fact that we're telling you this all should point you to Jesus. I want you to know that everything we do out of excellence is not because of some type of performance-based mentality. It comes as a result of us having a relationship with Jesus and we just think we ought to represent him to the best of our ability. That's what drives us to do that. But if we're not careful on the flip side, you, me, anybody can fall into the trap of coming because of stuff and missing we do this because in the end, we want you to know you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he's the Messiah, he is the son of God, and he can give you life. So let's back this up and, and look at this a little deeper. What if Jesus wasn't our reason? What if the fact that we say all this should produce a transformed life, change the momentum, the direction of who you are, what you are, where you're going. What if we took that out and we just said, well, we're not, in the end, it's not really about Jesus. If we took that out, did you know that really we're just a service organization to a community? That's all. And I think, we're, I think we're called to serve, but I don't think we're called to be just a service organization. Do we serve? Yeah, but it's more than just trying to be good to people in our environment, people in our community, serving. It's more than that. It's the fact that we have a personal relationship with a God and we just think we ought to serve him well. Can I, take, can I tell you something that I pray privately? After today, it won't be private. How many would like to know it? Okay, wasn't the majority, so hey, we have to move on. No, I'm just kidding. This is a prayer I say often. Jesus, I'm preaching. Please help me to tell your story well. Please help me tell your story well. Why? Because without that, this is just a motivational gathering. This is just a service club. It's a, it's a group, it's good people. You can look at the person on your left and right and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're, when he says good people, that's you, man. Yeah. But in the end, it's more about just being, it's more than just about being good, right? It's Jesus. See, those people, they wanted the heal, they, they wanted the stuff. And Jesus, in this story, and we're gonna see it play out, he was doing more than just, well, here's the stuff so that it'll make your life better. It's more than that. And everybody said amen. amen. Number two, read it out loud. Whatever God does in your life is going to require. Jesus. 
Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. When Jesus went up there, he understood what that was for. We read in the next few verses, he actually had a plan. He was asking questions so uh, that he, he was just seeing where they were, but he already, he already knew what he was gonna do. And I find it interesting that he took the 12 disciples with him. This would have been a perfect example of if anybody could have looked at anybody like Jesus could at that point and say, look, you know, I'm perfect, you guys are not, and you're messing my life up. So I need you to, you know, hey, this is about to be a big moment and some of you are really spiritually immature. Stay off the mountain. In fact, you know, why don't you go to the back of the crowd? We fail to see that if anybody could have said to anybody, I don't need anyone, it would have been Jesus. Right? And yet he didn't do it. He asked those disciples to follow him. He's about to have a big moment in his life. And this is what I think is so interesting. Jesus knew that this was going to be a big defining moment. He did not clear the stage so that no one else could share in it. He took the 12 with him. Wow. You know what a leader is capable of doing based on who they're willing to share it with. And Jesus said, I need the 12. And he took the 12 and he used them for his glory and his honor and let them participate in the miracle, which takes me to the next thing. Read it out loud. The prophetic is not always obvious in our today's. So it says the Jewish Passover festival was near. It's interesting for whatever reason, John feels inclined to put this in, okay, into the story. So this basically tells us that this miracle, and by the way, it also says some green grasses. He sat in where there was green. So we're, we know that this was March, April. You say, well, that's cool. What do you think the point is? I have no idea. <laughs> it's just interesting that he's giving so many more details compared to the other stories. I mean, he's like telling you why they're even there, why the people are even there because Passover's coming. He's telling you the month, the season, where they sat down. I mean, he's given the whole, he's given the details of who the names are. In, in the others, it was general dialogue. Here in his story, he says, no, I know who it was. Let me give you the name. You get a lot of more detail out of John's account. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Wow. What you have to realize is this. Today's obedience opens up the prophetics of tomorrow. Oh, please tell me you got that. Obedience today opens up the prophetics of tomorrow. A lot of people say, man, I'd love to see that happen in my life. I'd love to have this. I'd love to have that. Well, that all starts with obeying today. Yeah. Obedience sets the stage. Obedience opens the doors. But when you are disobedient of the things today that you know it derails any momentum that you could create for your tomorrows. Why? Because you're on the wrong path, you're on the wrong track, meaning you're missing what God has for you tomorrow because you're on the wrong momentum. So it all begins with, listen, I don't have to have my whole life together, I just have to have my life together today. And that positions me to have my life together tomorrow. I don't have to live all next month in one day. I just have to live today. And the question is, what do I know that I'm supposed to do today? 
How am I supposed to do it? Who am I supposed to do it with? And if I do it well, that positions me for something else tomorrow. A lot of people don't understand spiritual momentum. They just think God is just parachuting stuff out there and you're hoping that God draws your lottery ticket. Sustained obedience. Sustained obedience is what opens the door so much of what God's blessings are. And so many times people will have a season of where they're sustained and then for whatever reason they go, you know, I'm just tired of living like this. I just think it's not working out. No, you're being tested. Is it because you're doing a transactional thing with God? Now, if I live this way, you're supposed to do X, Y, Z. Is it a transactional relationship or are you following him because you love him? I said this thing when I got married to my wife, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor. How many know that's a love commitment? You know, it doesn't say as, as long as you're wealthy, baby. <laughs> hey, we've had some poor seasons. And you know what? I will tell you this. We celebrate those because we find that that's when our, our marital bond got stronger. Are we interested in doing them all over again? No. There's some seasons in life we hope never come back around, but we also look back and go, even as tough and as hard as that season was in our life, that was, that was one unique, it's like two guys or two people in the military who share a foxhole experience in battle. They have a way of bonding because they each had each other's back. They stared death in the face and neither of them wanted, neither of them ran, even though they wanted to run, they hung in there and they're bonded for life. And you think, wow, do you guys want to do it again? No. But when I had to do it, I'm glad I did it with them. And it's a person I'll always have their back because they had mine. No, I don't want to do it again. But man, we had a commitment and we both stared death in the face. We both lived through it and neither of us ran. That's a priceless bond. Priceless. The prophetic is not always obvious in our todays. We live our life in obedience, knowing tomorrow's divine appointments are in his hands more than mine. But the setting of the stage of that is me walking in obedience. Everybody said amen? amen. So I got a little more on this one. Did you notice Jesus uses the word bread? You say no? Well, that's why I'm pointing it out to you. And John does something with this story that's really unique. He shows how this set the stage for something because for the first time in his gospel, he uses the word bread. From this point on, he will use that word 25 times. Now, obviously, you're making a state. And this story happens in chapter six, and he uses the word bread in chapter six 18 times. Okay, I'm no genius, but I knew when my mom said something to me three times, she was making a point. <laughs> you know, you say it 18 times, I'm going, am I, does my mom think I'm thick-headed and can't hear? Or am I not getting the point? You know, you, you kind of go, hey, that's a lot of frequency. 18 times in one segment, because it's from this miracle that John breaks off to show the teachings that Jesus gave on how he was the bread of life. 
This is a great story in the sense that he says it was the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus set the stage with the people to show them that just as I can give you bread that will fill your stomach, just like God did to the Israelites in the wilderness with the manna, I can fill your stomach with bread. I am the bread of life that can fill your soul. He's saying that was the point of what Jesus used the feeding of the 5,000 for. He was trying to show them that just as he was able to produce physical bread to take care of their need, he could be a bread that fed their soul that they didn't know how to fix. And you can kind of go, wow, so John really did develop this in a further way than the other gospels. Now, let me just say, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they had other purposes that they were addressing, okay? They were writing for another reason, so they didn't develop some of the stories that John developed. But John was trying to say, I just want you to know, your world has collapsed around you, and I'll be getting into this later. This was a very horrific time in the Roman Empire, even beyond what we read in some of the other stories in the, in the 60 AD and 70, we think this is 85 AD. This, this is a horrendous time. In fact, all, we think all 11 apostles have been executed. The only one left now is John. And he's trying to say there's a bread that can feed your soul that Rome can't touch. Rome can take your life, but it cannot take your soul. And, he's, and I don't have time to expand on that, but hopefully the next time you read this segment of scripture and move into Jesus's teaching, you start to see what's really happening when Jesus was saying he was the bread of life in this particular context. Number four, read it out loud. In the face of insufficiency, we discover the measure of our faith. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Can I just take a note? Do you notice he calls both of those provisions small? I just think it's interesting that he puts a little more adjectives and description compared to the other stories that were the, the same stories that were recorded. And by the way, it says 5,000 men. So if you count the women and children, we actually think this was the feeding of 15,000. Now you're into definitely it's gotta be a miracle. And it shouldn't be any surprise that 5,000 guys showed up with nothing to eat. <laughs> Can I get an amen from all the women? You're just like, yeah, oh, yeah, you ain't ready, you know? My wife... Uh, we had our grandsons last weekend, and so she took a day to take them back up. They, they live in uh, northern Maryland, and so she spent the night taking them back, and she spent the night, and she's giving me all this, uh, you know, the X, Y, Z, here's your meals, here's what you need to do, X, Y, Z. She comes home, and she says, you didn't touch any of it. It's all in the fridge. What happened? She, and then she, I have a favorite restaurant. She goes, did you eat at? I said, yeah, I order takeout every night. <laughs> Every night, I said, I, and she goes, so you had this? I said, I had it every night, man. <laughs> just, I love it, you know, same meal, you know, just, it's just my thing, you know? And she goes, and now you know why God put me in your life. 
But the face of insufficiency is where we discover the measure. It's not when I have the provision, it's when I have something and I recognize not gonna be good enough. That's where faith starts. Let me, let me give you something that might help you to understand. And uh, I'm not going philosophical. Sounds like I am in the early part of what I'm about to say. But I, I want you just to process this a minute. Insufficiency shows up when we, at our point of failure. See, we hate to fail because we are so afraid that if I failed, number one, I did something wrong. And if I fail, does that make me a failure? And so we do everything we can to fail or not fail. So then that leads to this context of, well, then I believe that I'm all sufficient. See the, see the fallacy? And we have to understand we're gonna fail. Nobody gets every, every question on every test right. Somewhere along the way, you miss a question. Now for some, you know, for many of us, we go, yeah, that's about right, you know. And then for others, it's, a, it's just a total crisis. They missed a question. Why? Because they're like, well, does that mean I'm a failure? No, you're not a failure. But fail, listen to me, failure with a different perspective reveals where my competency ends and where I need him to begin. It's redefining. Now, this is not, listen to me, I am not implying, well, then let's just go out and fail. No, I'm not saying that. See, you've, you've, you've categorized what I'm saying in a wrong way. So let me, let me illustrate this. When an athlete, let's, let's use a weightlifter, and he's in a con he or she is in a competition, and as the competition goes along, you know, they keep adding more and more weight. And eventually, a singular athlete emerges. There's, there's somebody who was able to lift a particular weight that nobody else in the competition was able to lift. And that person is declared the winner, right? Please tell me you understand that, okay? Nobody gets a participation trophy and all that kind of stuff, okay? <laughs> I just had to throw that in, sorry. So the person now has lifted a weight that nobody else has lifted their winner. What does that athlete do? Puts on more weight. The athlete will continue to lift. Even though they've won the competition, the athlete will continue to add more weight until they fail. Why? Because at the point of failure, tells them where they need to start training. Nobody walks out of there and says, what a failure. You're like, dude, I, I, I won and I exceeded the weight that I won with. I even added more weight and I succeeded. I added more weight and it wasn't till I was a couple other weights high that I failed. But now I know when I go to the gym, I know where my competency level is. I've been able to define it and now my training starts here. Because now I know what I'm capable in competition. You know, sometimes we, we use the wrong paradigms to understand failure in our life. We use the failure as, I failed, therefore I'm a failure. No, you just discovered where your competency ends. 
See, you gotta let the enemy, you gotta stop letting the enemy, enemy frame your failure because that's what the enemy does. You messed up, you failed, you're a failure. This doesn't work, you're not perfect. It's like, wait a minute. I'm in relationship with God, not because I'm perfect, I'm in relationship because I do fail. But he still uses failure not to condemn me. He uses failure to show me where I need to start growing. Please tell me you get this. We re, we, no, I do not go out with the intent of failing. I do not strategize on how to fail but I understand when it happens that I go, okay, God, less of me and more of you right now because my competency stops right here. I don't know what to do. It's time to hit the gym, Jesus. It's time for you to give me a good workout so I can grow because I can't let this be my point of failure next time. Everybody said amen that got it. Because if you don't say amen, I'm going to keep talking. Okay? We're going to go into overtime. No. Number five, read it out loud. Serving the needs of the kingdom sets the stage for the miraculous. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There were plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. The other gospels tell us they were broken up into groups of 50 and 100. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. What I want, you know, when you put the stories together, do you realize how much work it was to put 15,000 people in groups of 50 to 100? I mean, I don't know the methodology on how you do that, but just get a hundred kids and have them count off one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and see how long it takes for them just to get into the four groups based on the numerical value. I mean, it's, it's, it's a daunting challenge. You just go, how, you know, one's over here, two's over there, three's here, four's here. You don't have to have a diploma to do it. But watch the chaos. Watch the chaos. A lot of people want to see the miracles without serving, and I'm here to tell you, no miracles until you start serving because the miracle is in the serving. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. Man, I'm gonna get on the line here. Are you ready for this? We were never meant to turn on the TV and be entertained by other people's miracles. God wants us to participate in people's miracles. But we have a culture where that happens. And somehow we derive satisfaction. And I'm not saying those miracles aren't, but we're, Christianity is not about watching, it's about doing. And I understand there's a, pro a process of coming to Christ. You know, you watch and you're checking out, I get it. But you need to know the whole intent is to move you from here to here. It's not just about putting bodies in the seat. It's about putting Jesus in people's hearts. 
That's what it's about. And that's what we're trying to help you to see. If you wanna see the miraculous, get your hands dirty and start serving people and you'll be amazed at what God will do through you as you serve. But we were never meant to be impressed with the kingdom as a spectator. I can tell that went over good. So here's the last thing we're gonna read. Number six, read it out loud. We must resist the temptation to force Jesus into doing our will. Interesting phrase at the end. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They're actually referring to something that Moses said. I mean, they're going, wait. So the reason he tells this story if you remember, we went back to the water turning into wine. The reason he tells that story, that's when the disciples started to buy in. Remember me preaching that? It says, that's when the disciples went, hey man, this is him. And this is when the people realized, whoa, it's him. This is the one that we have been taught about all our lives. Here he is. Whoa, it's Passover. Oh my goodness, I can see it now. The Messiah, the people go to, this is when we take out the Romans, man. People got all prophetic about it. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus said, you're right and you're wrong. You're right about who I am. And you're wrong about what you think that means. If we're not careful, we try to force Jesus to do things that Jesus didn't come to do. In fact, he actually spoke about this in John chapter five. It's interesting, you back it up a little bit. He gives some teaching and then we get this story. So let me back it up to John chapter five. In John chapter five, verse 17, this is gonna rock some of your theologies out there. Ready? How many are ready just to get rocked? All right, here you go. Let's look. Jesus has just healed that invalid that I preached on, and he just healed him, and it's on the Sabbath, and it's a big deal. How dare he do that on the Sabbath? The guy's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. That's work, can't do that. And they get into this debate. And Jesus says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, and to this day I too am working. So here's number one. Everybody say this after me. The father is always working. Okay? So when we pray, we have to understand he already has things in motion. It's just that you and I don't know what he's doing. And so it's not, God, you need to. He's already doing. So what you need to pray is, show me what you're doing because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Because he's always working. Has everybody got that? He's always working. Then he going down to verse 19, Jesus says this. Jesus gave this, this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Wow, does that rock our world because we just thought Jesus could walk around and do whatever he wanted. And Jesus said, actually, I can't do everything I want. I, have to, I can only do what I see my father doing. What you see me doing is what I saw him do, and I'm just repeating it. But no, I am not walking around doing my own gig. 
So what you see me doing is something that I saw from him that he wanted. So Jesus was a master at being able to understand what God wanted and he went and did it. The challenge for you and I is help me to see, Father, what you're doing and help me to know enough so that I know what I need to do and I'm all in. Some of you need to pray. So how does that affect our prayer? By the way, Jesus is the one who said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Our Father, which art in heaven, right? So he's saying, let me show you how I pray. I don't give God my list. Show me your will in heaven and that's what I'll do down here. We need to be asking God the same way. So how does that translate? God, show me what you're doing in my son's life so that I know what I need to do to complement that. God, show me what you're doing in my daughter's life so that I know what I need to do in response to that. God, show me what you're doing in my husband's life so that I know what I need to do. Show me what you're doing in my wife's life. Show me what you're doing in my coworker's life, my neighbor, my friend. God, I don't wanna guess. I wanna compliment your work. You're always working. I just don't know what that is. So if you'll show me, I'm in. And I always add something at the end. Would you like to hear what it is? Please don't tell me everything. How many of you have ever learned something that you could have done without life? Yeah, you just go, look, show me enough so that I know what to do. I am not asking you to give up the secrets of heaven to me. I probably couldn't handle them. Just show me enough as I relate to this person, as I relate to my relative, as I relate to my family. Just show me enough so that I know what I'm supposed to do and I'll leave that with you. But Father, you're working. My problem is I don't know how to compliment it. You might be, now here's the thing then you're gonna have to be open to the fact that there is a prophetic. Some of you went, oh, I'm so uncomfortable with that. Do you want God to show you what's going on or not? So suddenly now you have to tap into the Holy Spirit, which by the way, John does a lot, okay? So I just say that this morning. Listen, let's resist the temptation to force Jesus to do, his, do our will. And let's ask Jesus, show me yours, I'm in. Show me enough so I know, and I'll be doing it. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service this morning. Can we just take a moment? I want you to thank him this morning that he's a God who's always working. Man, does that bring peace and comfort into my life, thanking God that, wow, You're always at work, even when I don't think you are. You're always at work. Come on, church. Thank him for that this morning. We're going to wrap the service up in a little bit different way. I'm going to ask the connection group leaders and and the leadership team, would you make your way to the front? And as they're making their way, let me just say this. We're gonna sing, and we're gonna open up the, an opportunity for you to come forward for two things. Number one, there might be those of you who recognize today, it's time to move beyond the stuff that you see Jesus do, and it's time to enter into a relationship with him. 
And as we begin to sing, I'm gonna ask you to make your way forward. You say, well, what do I say to one of them? Just say to them, hey, I've come down here to accept Jesus. Trust me, they'll know what to do at that point. All you gotta do is make yourself available. But for some of you others, you have needs in your life. You know family members, you need to know what Jesus is doing because you just can't seem to get it right when you try to reach him. Well, maybe you need to ask the Father to start revealing what he's doing in their life and stop imposing what you think they ought to do. Some of you, you need healing for yourself or for somebody else in your family. Some of you are faced with job issues, finance. Listen, it's not just for people who need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, I've got a need and I'd like somebody to pray over me. I can tell you, these people, they'll stay and pray. So as we sing, before I dismiss, let's sing a song. Open up an opportunity for you to come and then we'll dismiss. But come on, let's sing it now. And your family and your children their children, their children. lift your hands today as I say the blessing and we'll go. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Your family, your children, their children, may His favor be upon you and a thousand generations. Your family, your children, their children, Boy, and behind, and beside.